0: Good morning church, great to see you this morning, welcome to Union Chapel, my name is Greg Paris, so glad you're with us today, if you're joining us online, we're thrilled that you are tuning in, welcome to you. We are are in the middle of a story, we are taking this year to work our way in chronological order through the entire Bible and we are now in these weeks talking about the life of Jesus, pretty good right, very exciting time. And we are on chapter 24 today. So we're going to 31. We've got seven more weeks. And so this is an opportunity for you to catch up from here. If you've gotten behind, get back to the story. And next week we'll cover chapter 25. Let me just remind you that the story begins with God's big vision. God created a man and a woman in a place called Eden. This was paradise. And his vision was to live with people, the crowning achievement of all the created order, you and me, human beings, made in his image and likeness, he wants to spend eternity in close, personal, intimate fellowship with us. That's his vision. That's the goal of God. When Adam and Eve rejected that vision, sin entered the world and chaos with it, destruction and death came along. And so God thought, I will create a nation. I will build a nation for myself, which will be a model for the rest of the world to see what it looks like to be in relationship with me. So he raised up a man named Abraham, and this, and this family grew into a great nation. But the seasons of Israel were, were filled with highs and lows, and God realized that this isn't going to be an adequate expression of his desire, his vision. And so it wasn't a what, a nation, that he wanted to create ultimately, but it was a who that he wanted to introduce into the world. And he said that this who would come through his nation, through the through the tribe of Judah, through the lineage of David, and all the way to the place in that appointed time in history when Jesus Christ was born. And Jesus came into the world via the birth of a virgin, which was essentially important, so that he didn't come with him, the inherited fallenness of, of our sin natures. And so when he shed his blood, when his head bled when his hands and feet inside bled his blood was pure it was it was the perfect sacrifice and God has accepted and received his sacrifice for the remission of all of our sins the judgment of God the wrath of God has has been satisfied through the person and the sacrificial death the shedding of his blood of Jesus Christ and so we now stand forgiven having received his mercy, his forgiveness and his grace, and we now are made ready because of the work of Jesus Christ, the merits of his life, death and resurrection to be in God's presence forever. That's where the hallelujah goes in the sermon right there. So thank God for his amazing grace. Now today we we want to pick up the story because Jesus has been born. This was the inauguration of Jesus into the world and Last week, we talked, we, uh, we talked about uh, that coming into the world and the initial aspects of his ministry. We studied four vignettes from his life, his baptism, his temptation in the wilderness, his conversation with a guy named Nicodemus, when we learned that all of us, including Nicodemus and all of us from now on, if we want to see and enter the kingdom of heaven, we must be born again. And then his interaction with a Samaritan woman at a well, a woman who is at the lowest of the lowest rungs of culture and society, and yet Jesus went out of his way to remind her and indeed all of us that whosoever will may come, that his love and mercy and grace is available to anyone who asks for it. And so now we come to this middle portion of his, of his ministry. He's more popular in this second year of his ministry Next week, of course, we'll see that opposition begins to grow against him in the third year of his ministry. But for now, great throngs of people are following him. Huge crowds are pressing in on him because of his popularity. He is teaching, he is preaching, he is healing, and people want to hear his words and receive his touch. It is a powerful, powerful time on the earth. And as we read this section of the Scripture We are reminded of how wise it is then to build our lives on the teaching of Jesus, to follow his words and follow his ways, to understand uh, the model that he presents to us as a means to live. Now, what I want to do today is just give you four examples in the life of Jesus and the second year of his ministry that will highlight the fact that this is no ordinary man, this is the Son of God and someone for whom we follow. Now, the first example I want to use is found in Matthew, Mark's gospel, rather, chapter 4, beginning at verse 38. Uh, these words will be on the screen for you now. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. It's an ordinary fishing boat, large enough to get all 13 of them in the boat. So you can imagine the size of this boat. It's wooden. It has oars. This isn't your classic fishing boat. Now, it's not a skeeter, for example. No, no big outboard. 200-horsepower Merc or anything like that, no live wells, sonar, none of that. This is a, so the boys are rowing the boat, and a storm comes up, big storm, threatening storm, wind and w- waves are coming over, the. they're bailing. And so we pick up the story there. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. How many of you know that would make your mouth fall open? Whoa. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Let's make a point of this. I'll put it on the screen. If Jesus is in your boat, then you don't need to be afraid of storms. That's, I think, maybe six amens out of the room. (laughs) We hesitate there a little bit, don't we? Because we know it's easier to say, don't be afraid when the storm's there than to actually not be afraid. I wonder if you're living in a storm right now. Are you? Wayward child, challenges at work, difficult diagnosis, lost a loved one. A few weeks ago over the Labor Day weekend weekend, we pulled out a DVD of our family from 1989. Here are the date, 1989. It had video of the boys when Aaron was 11. Our oldest son Aaron was 11, and our younger son, Isaac, was four. Now this is back in the day, if you're old enough. Uh, this was that camcorder that you rested on your shoulder, had that big VCR tape that you had to plug in there. The battery was the size of a car trunk, you know, and it, w- it lasted for about 18 minutes, and then you're on your own after that. And so you just you walk around, you know, like you're official. And there were no smartphones. You couldn't just, you know, make it easy with high def or any of that stuff. So I was filming, and Beth and the boys were there, and it was Christmas. And Aaron was reading the Christmas story from Luke chapter 1, and he's there close to his mother, and his mother's sitting on the on the arm of the sofa, and she's got little Isaac, who's four, sitting on her lap. And so the three of them are very close. She's looking over Aaron's shoulder, so as he reads from Luke chapter 2, that if he stumbles on a word, she can help him. And I'm filming this whole thing. What made this video particularly poignant was that Beth, my wife, had been diagnosed with cancer just two days prior to this. This was filmed on December 23rd. She was diagnosed with cancer on December 21st. It was the same cancer that had taken the life of her mother At the age of 39, Beth was 35 at the time. And as we watched uh, over Labor Day with our families, we had both of our sons, their wives and the four grandkids. So there were 10 of us all together and we were there watching it. And as we watched, I shared within the timeline of Beth's diagnosis I said, as you watch this, I want to point out that here's a woman, 35 years old, whose mother's already died before she was 40 years old, of the same cancer that she's been diagnosed with, and there she is two days after her diagnosis with her two small children. Now, it was easy for us to watch because Beth was in the room on Labor Day, and she was in good health and in good spirits, you know, these 30-plus years later, and so it was okay. It was safe for us to watch. But what I pointed out was after I gave them the timeline of events, I say, notice how brave she is. Notice how determined she is. Look at the expression on her face. Look how hopeful she seems to be. You know, when the storms of life come, what we want to shoot for is to be able to hang on to those words of the psalmist. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're in the boat here with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And So we want to hang on to that, don't we? We want to live our lives in such a way that when the storm hits, and it'll hit, storm's coming. Every, every last one of us, you're either in a storm, just coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. Life has about it storms now and then. And so when the storms come, we don't want Jesus looking at us and saying, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith? I'm with you. And so we hang on to that the best we can. And we learn from this admonition from the Lord today that we don't have to be afraid. When you pull out a concordance, this, uh, a, a book that has every word in the English translation of the Bible listed uh, in alphabetical order. So, for example, the word fear. If you look up the word fear, you'll find phrases that are throughout the Bible, do not fear, fear not. And all of those phrases, if you count them all in the English translation of the Bible, you will discover that there are 365 fear nots. Do not be afraid in the Bible. You know, that's one for every day of the year. Apparently, humans struggle a bit with the subject, with the issue. And so what we hear today, and my encouragement to you today, is to remember Jesus is with you. He's in the boat. You do not have to be afraid. Amen. Well, here's a second picture. This is a story in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, We have another boat incident. (laughs) And this time the disciples are in the boat without Jesus. And it's a little choppy. There's a, it's not a big storm. You know, it's, it's not threatening, but it's choppy. And so they're, they're having to work at this. There are strong winds, and it's a, a morning. And just the early light of the sun is beginning to crest the horizon. And, and so the sun's just coming up. And these guys are by themselves, and they're going across. And as they're doing so, they see a figure from a distance, walking on the water toward them. Well, it freaks them out. They assume it's a ghost. Must be a ghost. Because we know people can't walk on water. (laughs) But as the figure gets closer, they, they focus in on him, and they realize, and Jesus calls out, he says, hey guys, it's me, Jesus, don't freak out. Easy for him to say. And Peter, being bold as he is, he says to the Lord, if it is you, Lord, then may I come out to you. Can you see there the disciples looking at him like, what are you talking about? Jesus says, come on out. (laughs) This is great. Peter steps out of the boat and amazingly, he starts walking on the water. And as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus and not the waves around him, he stays on top. Only when he takes his eyes off of Jesus does he begin to sink. Now, let's make a point of this. Look on the screen with me. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. Any questions? Some of you are playing it way too safe in life. Can I just poke at you a little? God has more in store for you, more things for you. For some of you, you even know what it is, but you're white-knuckling it to the boat. You won't get out. You won't take the step. You won't make the move. You won't make the adjustment. It's too much. It overwhelms you. For some of you, it's like downsizing your house so that you can lower your expenses. You've been dealing with the stress of that mortgage, and it creates stress in your marriage and with your kids and all kinds of other negative consequences. And what you need to do, yeah, but we need that extra bedroom. No. No, you can get by without it. No, you can't. You can do it. So you need to step out of the boat. For some of you, it's leaving a job. That's killing you. For others, it's taking a risk and saying yes to marriage. Young people, emerging culture, get a ring and a date. Get married, we'll help you. I know it takes courage. But if you want to walk on water, got to get out of the boat. Did that settle well? I'm waiting. I want, I want the light to come on for some of you. Maybe it's a new career. Maybe it's a new ministry opportunity. You got to go for it. For others, it's having the courage to dump the person you've been dating because you know after the time you've dated them, they're not on the same journey with Jesus that you are. It's not going to work. You can't, you, can't, you can't fulfill God's call in your life, your destiny in life with that person time to say enough. Maybe it's learning to accept who you are and how God has made you and wired you and equipped you. Time for you to stop trying to be somebody else that you admire and just be you. Be the best you you can be and come to the fullness of your potential and then go for it. Get out of the boat. Our younger son, Isaac, and Derek, I mentioned to you recently that they've become foster parents, and they've taken on two new boys. They uh, are three and four years old. Isaac and Derek have a set of twins, a boy and a girl. They are 10 years old, and these two foster boys now are three and four. They're brothers, and they were delivered to them the day after Memorial Day, just recently, after 10 p.m., crisis in the family, parents are addicted to drugs, the boys had to be taken out of the home, and so the twins had already been put to bed, and so they didn't even know these boys had been delivered to their house, but in the middle of the night, the youngest one, a little three-year-old, little toehead kid, handsome little guy, he's in tears now. Uh, The kids' bedrooms are on the main floor, and, and the parents are upstairs, and so the little guy, three years old, in a new house, he stumbles into... Eliana one of the twins bedrooms and he's in tears and he's sobbing now picture him three years old in the middle of the night and he's sobbing and he wakes Eliana up and he keeps repeating the same thing over and over again and he says can you help me find my mommy can you feel that All I'm saying is if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Got to get out if you want to do that. Well, here's the third snapshot that I'd like you to see. And this is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. And the context here is that John the Baptist, who's been so fearless, so courageous, so declarative, he's this precursor prophet, probably a cousin of Jesus, actually, and he's, he's crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And when he sees Jesus, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus actually submits himself in the Jordan River for John Baptist to put him under the water. And we learned about this last week. What we know now at this point is that John Baptist has been beheaded by Herod. He's been martyred. Look on the screen at Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now you can understand this. Jesus, he, he's close to John Baptist. He's a relative of John Baptist. And he's learned that he's been killed. And so he's, he's hurt by that. He's grieved by that. And so he wants to get away. He needs, he needs time to grieve. This makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But the crowds of people were following him, and they, and they just, they wouldn't leave him alone. Huge numbers of people crushing in against him all the time, and so he actually stops this grieving process, and he has this throng of people in front of him, and he, and he holds a healing service, and people by the hundreds are being healed of their physical ailment. It is a phenomenon. It is amazing. It is, it is so powerful. Yeah, I, I mean, we have no way to put context or or comprehension around a first century event like that where the, you know, the life spans something in the 40 years old because people get sick and die. And now here's a healer in their midst. And whatever ailment you have, there's very little cure for it. And he's healing everybody. It's, it's astonishing. And so you can understand why people are just flocking to this guy. Hey, this is no ordinary guy. This is the son of God. And so he's ha- he has this healing service, and it goes on all day until the, till the evening. And then, and then the disciples say, look, everyone's been here all day. There are thousands of them. We know there are 5,000 men there, maybe as many as 15,000 people total. And the disciples say, you know, these folks need to go into town and get some food. They're, they're all hungry. They've been here all day. And Jesus looks at the disciples in front of 15,000 people, and he says something crazy to them. He says, you feed them. You know, and they're incredulous. They look at him and say, what are you talking about? It would take a year's wage to feed all these people just to get a little morsel of food. We can't possibly feed everyone. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, well, is there any food anywhere? And Andrew pipes up and said, well, I saw some kid with, you know, a few fish sandwiches earlier, a little sack. Jesus said, go get him. So they bring this little guy up. He's got five loaves and two fish. Now this isn't a, like a loaf of bread as we visualize with, you know, having been leavened. This is unleavened bread, so it's more like a just a flat piece of bread, like a like a disc, you know, like a frisbee. And so he's got five of these things and two fish. And Jesus says to the disciples, "Have everybody sit down. We're going to feed them now." The boys are going, "We don't we don't understand this guy. What is happening?" And so You've you've heard people speculate about how this miracle happened and maybe you have an idea about it because the, the Bible doesn't give us the logistics of how you multiply enough food from five loaves and two fish to feed 15,000 people. We just don't know the steps that were that were taken. We know Jesus took some of the food out of the out of the boy's bag and blesses it and that's all we know. So we're left to speculate And since you're paying me to tell the story, I'll tell you what I think about it. (laughs) You can have have your own ideas. I think there are two options that are reasonable. We know that after everyone has been fed and, and are satisfied, there are 12 baskets left over. So apparently, we have access to some baskets. You know, you can just imagine these baskets, woven baskets. And so maybe there's a whole bunch of, maybe Jesus said gather all the baskets that we have. And maybe just pile up baskets everywhere, and it could be Jesus lifted up the bread and the fish and says, Lord, thanks for everything. And then shazam, these baskets are full of, of fish sandwiches. That's one option, and that's possible because how do you feed 15,000 people, you know, efficiently, quickly, under those circumstances? Wow. The other option, and this is the one I, that I prefer to think about because I can visualize it better, Jesus lifts up the bread and the fish, and then he hands a disciple a fish, and now his hand's full of fish again. He tears a piece from the loaf, just tears it off, hands it to the disciple. By the time he returns, it's a whole loaf again. And the loaf, he tears on that loaf until he gets tired of that, and he picks up another one. We're just, we're we're multiplying, it's multiplying in his hands. Is that all right with you? I have a story in my own life where food was multiplied. I'll tell you sometime. It's true. It's an amazing story. Let me just tell you. (laughs) It's not in my notes. When I was uh, about 18 years old in our youth group back in Boswell, Indiana, we had a, had a, a fundraiser for our youth group, and we had a chili supper. And it was a Saturday night. And we made two big pots of chili, you know, the great big church pots, you know, in the church kitchen, great big pots like this, and we got all the ingredients and filled both these pots all the way up to the, to the brim, and we invited people to come, and people showed up, and they were enthused about supporting us, or they were hungry for chili, or whatever, and so we were hosting this down in the, in the church basement. You can visualize this old-timey church, and down in the basement, and, and there's a kitchen with a counter and these, these bifold doors, you know, in front of the old kitchen, you know, maybe you've seen this, this sort of thing. And we're back there in the kitchen, and, and people, people are lined up. They're lined up through the, through the basement of the church, up the stairways, out on the front porch, down the sidewalk, down the street, lined up. And our youth leader, she was dipping chili into bowls. And then uh, the students, we were serving people at their tables. And we're just serving, serving, serving. And I finally had the idea, you know, I wonder how the chili's holding up. Well, she had already emptied one of these big pots, and she was halfway down in the second pot. I went in there, and I could see that there was about this much chili left in this pot. And I had just looked at the line. There was another hundred people waiting for chili, I said, "Is that all the chili we have?" She said, "Yes." She said, "Surely, we've fed everyone pretty much." I said, "No, they're lined up down the street, and it's Saturday night, and the store's not open. You know, it's after hours, and it's a small town. And you know, can you add water? Yeah, that you know, that's that doesn't seem right." <laughs> So we're done. And so we figure we'll just serve what we have and then tell everyone else sorry. That's where we were. And some kid, like a 15 year old snot nosed kid in our youth group, they said, Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray that God will multiply the chili? We looked at him like, What is the matter with you? We're Methodists. We don't do multiply the chili prayers. Pentecostals are down the street. We thought, no harm in asking. So we literally said, excuse us just for a moment with all the people waiting, and we closed those little bifold doors over the counter in the kitchen and about a dozen of us just kind of circled up, and our youth leader, who was, you know, maybe, they were real mature adults, they were about 23, and, and so this guy, this, the woman's husband has been dipping the chili. He said, Lord, uh, we're going to run out of chili, and if you don't mind, multiply this chili till we feed everybody. And we all said, yeah, Amen. And so we opened the doors again. This only took, you know, 45 seconds. And so she started dipping chili out of that half full pot. And she dipped 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 and, she dipped, and dipped and dipped bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl. And after, after about 20 people had been served, we all just kept going in there and putting our nose over the edge of that pot. And it didn't go down. It didn't go down. God's listening to me. I have to give an account for everything I say. It did not go down. And we'd go out and serve some more people, you know, and clean up the tables, and people kept coming, 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 coming. I, I went out, checked the line. Oh, geez, there's still. And I'd go in there and just go. And I'd look at her, and she'd go. And she now tears are. Tears are coming down her face because she's dipping out of this thing and the, and, the, and the chili's not going down. And she dipped and dipped and dipped and dipped. And finally, everyone in the line got as much as they wanted, and, then, and now all of us kids, we grabbed a bowl, <laughs> want some of that chili. <laughs> we ate as much chili as we could eat. And now there's no one left, just a handful of kids down there, and now we got, the, and it has not gone down. And so now we look at each other and go, "Oh no, how do you empty this pot?" You know, you, you start pouring, and it, you know, out into the streets. We got some of those plastic jars with those metal lids on them. I don't know if you, you know, they're, they're like almost a gallon jar like that. And we had, we had three of those. And so we, we took this pot and we started pouring and it filled up one of these things. We poured it. It filled up a second one. And finally it started going down. And the last one, we, we poured it like this and it went right up to the top and that was the end of it. We had three gallons of chili left over. So this miracle of feeding 15,000 with loaves and fish... This is easy for me, because I've I've seen food multiply. I've seen that. Maybe you've seen it. There's nothing for Jesus. When the devil tempted him in the wilderness, we learned last week, he said, You're, you've been fast, fasting 40 days. You can turn the stones into bread. Yeah. <laughs> and he can turn bread into more bread. And that's what he did, and fish into more fish. So everyone eats and is satisfied. 15,000 people, it's an amazing it's an amazing moment. And so here's the point we can make out of this. I'll put this on the screen. Give Jesus what you have. Let him multiply it. Give him what you have. The last uh, vignette now is found in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, if you'll look on the screen. And after he had dismissed them, this is after this big feeding, He went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Now he's going to catch up with his grief. And he's going to minister to his soul. He's modeling for us a very important principle. And I'll put it on the screen for you. Last idea I have for you today. If you don't come apart, you'll come apart. If you don't separate yourself, even from wonderful things that are happening in your life, even things that are miraculous, you know, God kind of stuff, even the very best stuff in your life, if you don't get away from that pressure, that stress, that fatigue, that grief, get away from that in order to get balanced, to get centered, to get whole, to minister to your own soul, you won't make it. In my first church many years ago, uh, there was a parishioner in the church. I went to her home to visit her one day. By the way, don't expect me to come to your home to make a pastoral call. I don't do those. Um, We have people who are really good at that, who do it. You don't want me to come to your house. You won't be that encouraged. (laughs) And that's why I don't go to the hospital and visit people. The only way that I will come to visit you in the hospital is if you're going to die. In other words, you don't want to be that sick for me to come <laughs> to visit you. I, I've announced this from time to time over the years. I went into the hospital room of a parishioner, a friend of mine, and he saw me and he said, Oh, God, no, just <laughs> like that. I didn't know I was that sick. You're pretty bad, or I wouldn't be here. So don't expect me to come, but back in the day, I only had 40 people in this church, so I went to call on Pearl Bloom. This is not, not a made-up name, Pearl Bloom. She was 93 years old. I went into her living room, and it's exactly as you would picture it. You know, one pillow on the sofa hasn't moved for 27 years. You know, uh, plastic still on the lampshade. This is Pearl, very conservative girl. And I went in there, and she sat down on her sofa, and I sat in a chair, and the coffee table between us, I looked, and her Bible was sitting on the coffee table, and it was in four pieces stacked on top of each other. I said, Pearl, it looks like you need a new Bible. And she said, oh, yes. And she was very humble. She said, that's the fourth Bible I've worn out in my life. (laughs) (laughs) And we chatted for a little while. And, of course, going to visit her, I thought I was doing her a favor. I was the one in school. How's your health? I have some bursitis in my shoulder and my knees. Tell me about your family. She said, oh, I have a daughter. She was just told by her doctor that she has to take nerve pills. That's how she described it. And then she lamented. And the doctor told her she was going to have to take those pills for the rest of her life. I said, I'm sorry to hear that, Pearl. How old is your daughter? She said, she's only 72 <laughs> Everything's relative, right? <laughs> so great. I got up to leave. I said, Let, "Let's pray before I go." She said, "Okay." And I bowed my head and started praying. I heard some rustling. I looked up, and Pearl is working her way off the sofa down onto the floor. I said, "Pearl, what are you doing?" She, and you know her her bursitis. She's moaning and groaning. She said, "Oh, she said I never pray unless I'm on my knees." Who is this person? She made her sofa an altar. She knelt there, and I prayed for her. Then she prayed for me. Oh, my gosh. After our prayer, I went over and helped her up. So she was back in her sofa. That little church I pastored in southern Indiana for a few years when I was in grad school, they had purchased hymnals, you know, some years before I got there. And to raise the money to buy the hymnals, everyone agreed to buy a Bible or two. And if you bought gave enough money to buy a hymnal, they'd have your name embossed on the front of it. So all the hymnals in the church had the names of all the prisoners on them, one by one. The day before Beth and I moved to Muncie, all those years ago, I went into the sanctuary, and I walked around until I found Pearl Bloom's Bible, and I stole it. (laughs) I brought it here. It's in my office. Every once in a while, I just pull that hymnal off my shelf, and I set it on my desk, and I see Pearl Bloom, and I think, God, help me to wear out a Bible. God, help me to be humble when I pray. God, help me to care about the things you care about. God, help me to live long and honorably as a witness for Jesus' sake. And then I'll put the hymnal back in, back in the shelf. You can come by and look at it if you want to. You can't have it but you can look at it. It's past the statutes of limitations. They can't get me for theft, I'm sure, at this point. Some of you need to hear that part of the message today. You need to get yourself apart. There's too much stress. There's chaos. There's emergency. There's pressure. The world is screaming at us in a thousand different ways, every moment of every day. It's so easy to lose track of the voice of Jesus. It's so easy to lose hope. I mean, the world has gone crazy. And it's so easy to be distracted by it, discouraged by it. So you have to guard your heart. You have to protect your soul. You have to get yourself apart to a quiet place, so that you can hear the voice of God and you need to pray, study his word so that you can get on balance and get the perspective you need to make it on the long haul. Some of you need to hear that today. And I hope you take it to heart and follow Jesus' pattern and his model. Well, in all these things, we learn that Jesus is not an ordinary guy and that he is the son of God And we see in him the model that we are called to follow. So take these pieces that we've studied today, make the application, you'll be better for it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word and this amazing way that you model for us what it looks like to live an honorable life. Thank you, Jesus, that you came not only to die for our sins, but to show us how to live. So help us to immerse ourselves in the teachings and life of Jesus. That's where wisdom is found. Now, let me just rehearse with you. You, Would you pray and think about this? Just remember now, Jesus is with you. You do not have to be afraid. If you're in a storm right now, fear not. God is with you. He's with you. He'll see you through. And remember also, if you want to walk on water... You have to get out of the boat. So let me ask you it this way. What decisions are you facing right now that requires you to take a step out of the boat, take a risk of faith? Think about the miracle of food. Let's ask it this way. What do you need more of in your life right now? Whatever that thing is, maybe you need more love in your life. Maybe you need a friend in your life. Maybe you need resources in your life of some sort, whatever it is you need, give it away. Give that thing away. Give Jesus what you have and let him multiply it. You'll see that that works and God will provide. And then finally, just to remind you, guard your heart. Nurture and care for your soul. Spend time alone with God in prayer, and his word, and in fellowship. And God will get you to the end, to the other side safely. So we pray, Lord, all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?